Welcome to The Truth in This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. You, you should know this by now. Um, today, I am interviewing a small business owner and community builder, the owner of the Mobtown Ballroom, located in historic Pigtown. It is Baltimore's premier location for Lindy Hop and swing dance events, dance classes, and an array of live music. Please welcome Sarah Sullivan. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Ah, actually, I, I lied to you. I actually did do my full intro. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. It was great. Well, I thought it was you. awesome. <laughs> I would say, you see, so, there's a few people who've asked me, it's like, can I just take that and just use it? That's like a ringtone. And I was like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so um, if you will, uh, for those who are undipped, uninitiated, could you please like, you know, introduce yourself as how you were presented? Because I'm sure I missed the thing here and there. You might say, look, I'm the wizard of everything dance related or the wizard of ballroom. But how did um, how would you introduce yourself and how did you get started? Um, so, like you said, my name is Sarah Sullivan, um, and I am one of two owners of the Mobtown Ballroom in Pigtown. Um, and we're a small arts venue that's been open for a little over 10 years now. Uh, and like you said, we do a lot of Lindy Hop swing dancing. Uh, that's how me and my business partner, Michael, both got started. Um, we now have a really thriving circus program. So like Ariel Silks and Lyra and things like that. Um, we have a bar, we have concerts, we have square dancing, uh, a bunch of different stuff. Um, and so that's kind of the gist of what I do right now. Um, I was raised in Massachusetts, uh, and by the time I was about 10, my dad had left and moved to California. And so I grew up going back and forth between Massachusetts and California. Uh, and my dad was the one who started swing dancing when he moved to California. Uh, and so when I would go visit him, I would be around it and I was, you know, terrified to do it. When I was a child, but, uh, Eventually, I started dancing myself, and uh, in tenth grade, I moved out there to live with him, and I homeschooled myself that year with the intention of being able to slip back into Massachusetts curriculum if I needed to, um, but with the side bonus of being able to make my own hours and go out swing dancing almost every night of the week, uh, and uh, so I dove right into that. Um, and I danced through all of high school. I was really lucky to get this gig nannying for international instructors. So I was, I started by going to like uh, big dance events in Boston that would have people from all around the world. And then I went to LA and then New Hampshire. And then I ended up in Sweden and England and uh, got to travel all over the place. And the deal was basically that they would fly me out and I could go dancing at night. But during the day, I'd be watching their kids. Um, wow. So it was like, a really cool way to uh, not just learn about dancing, but it expanded my vision of the world. I was in this rural community most of the time, and then I could go out and hang out with all these adults who were doing all different kinds of things and came from all different kinds of places. And um, it was a great community all in all. Um, and then I moved down to Baltimore in 2006 to go to Goucher, where I studied swing, or not swing dancing, where I studied peace studies. Yes. Uh, and uh, I intended, I kind of figured that I would end up doing international human rights law, which someday I might still, I don't know, uh, or um, working in nonprofits. Um, and while I was in college, Michael and I started a weekly dance. There was already a weekly dance happening on Mondays. We started one on Fridays. Uh, and I graduated college, kept doing that weekly dance, got a job at a nonprofit, worked in nonprofit for a few years, and um, 
and then kind of got totally disillusioned with the way that nonprofits function and their entire uh, existence, you know, not to shit on all nonprofits, but, uh, but I got pretty disillusioned. And I think with the ballroom, uh, I switched to that full time and figured it gave a really unique opportunity to have sort of control over a space and to make a space what I thought it should be and bring people into a community and help them become who they were going to become in that community. Um, And yeah, so the ballroom, we started the ballroom in 2011. At first, I wasn't full time at the ballroom. I switched over probably in 2012. Um, And through that, I ended up doing so many things. I was teaching, I was organizing. I started a band called the New Old Fashions and would play swing music and jazz music. Um, Actually, up and down the East Coast, it was really cool. and then I joined Guardian Dance, which we'll talk about a little later, the dance company that Brie Mason Campbell runs. Uh, and um, I've had a really cool run of getting to try all different awesome things and grow, right. kind of grow up in this job. Uh, I think, interestingly enough, probably about eight months before the pandemic, I, um, I found myself kind of realizing that I was... 31 or 32 at the time. And I was living 25 year old Sarah's life. And so I, uh, I needed to make some space. So I actually took a hiatus from guardian, stepped back from my band, uh, kind of was making space for everything. And then COVID hit and, uh, had plenty of space for everything. So here I am today, still running the ballroom, uh, but kind of figuring out what my next, things are creatively and intellectually and all like that. Wow. Well, that was a lot. Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. Thank, thank you for sharing that. I mean, the, what we want is authenticity here and, <laughs> what, and what's real. And, you know, you, you get to know the people and it's the thing, I think, you know, recognizing, although we, we, no one could really, well, some people could really plan out what was going to happen with COVID, but you know, a lot of us didn't know. And I think, right. You, you were recognizing, you know, at that time, like something's not aligned properly and you need to you need to set in breaks. You need to be able to not do as much um, and really reorganize things. Um, I, I had this conversation earlier with a um, with someone I look up to. I don't know if they're quite a mentor, but they're getting there. I'm very you can't just become a mentor to me. But yeah. Um, and, and and she told me she was like, you're going 200 miles an hour. She's like, I hope you're putting in breaks for yourself to because yeah. you could burn out. So I, I think that's big. And I think it, that was a key thing out of all of the things that you said there, like hearing it, because when you're doing a lot and you're trying to realize a vision, you know, like you want to have a space for people to be who they are intended to be. That's huge. That's a weighty thing. It is. And it's I think whenever you're doing something that you actually care about and actually love, uh, it's riskier to, to burn out because then you're not only throwing out your, you know, your energy and your capacity to take care of yourself, but you're tossing out the things that give you life. Um, so yeah, it's important to, to take a step back sometimes and reevaluate, I think. Yeah. And I mean, sometimes when you're right in it, what you can't see the forest from the trees, that whole thing. Um, so you, you touched on the um, living by coastally, you know, like Massachusetts mm-hmm. I think is two different sides of things. Um, yeah. So 
outside of, you mentioned your your dad exposing you to to to, to dancing um so what was maybe your strongest influence growing up outside of maybe your dad like maybe in the the realm of creativity maybe in the realm of you know i, I like i have music and, and movies and things of that nature in here like i'm sure somebody told me before that they wanted to be a boxer because they watched rocky three and i was like that's mm-hmm. not the good one that's that's not the good one but <laughs> what was the uh what that was, was what did it for you yeah mr t just talked and jive all right then i guess <laughs> so what, what was something like maybe pop culture related that really influenced you growing up or creative that influenced you growing up yeah so um i've been thinking a lot about this uh because i was into a lot of really different kinds of things and i think when i was really young i was lucky that my parents were super into the folk music scene in new england which there's a thriving folk music scene Um, And so that's who I listened to when I was really young, uh, those musicians, which then I got to go to concerts with them and see those musicians and meet those musicians, uh, which was, you know, wild for a seven year old or whatever, because I didn't know them from Britney Spears at that time. Uh, Like I could have been meeting the president of the United States. All I knew is I heard them coming out of my radio and I thought it was awesome that I was meeting them. Um, And, you know, getting to see, see the graciousness with which they approached me, a child, when uh, their fans came up to them uh, was really cool. And then as I got a little older, I was very into like the Spice Girls and Britney Spears and Alanis Morissette and Christina Aguilera and Destiny's Child and uh, Mariah Carey. Um, And I think when I think back on it, some of it was the music and I very much wanted to be a singer. That was like a lifelong dream. but some of it was also the fact that I saw the power that people who had such a large voice were able to um, not exert, but like were able to use to influence people and to help people see who they could become. You know, sure. and that can go one way or the other for better or worse. But as a child, it looks like a really cool thing. Um, and I distinctly remember the time that Britney Spears came out on stage with that snake on her and she was like, I mean, it was on one hand, totally rad. On the other hand, hypersexualized of a, what was essentially a child. And yeah. I remember the response that my mom had and the response that everyone had. And um, I remember thinking when I'm in that position, I'm gonna do things this way. Uh, I'm gonna try and help young girls not have to question X, Y, and Z or be able to impose themselves this way or whatever. Um, you know, Not realizing that there was millions of dollars and tons of old men kind of like, backing her and telling her what to do. Uh, But, um, but I was really fascinated with not just the music that was happening in pop, but the, the power in uh, having influence over people and being able to elicit feelings from them. So, so are there any like acts or any like like works acts arts that like now are more recent that really are popping up on your radar that like all right with time removed and maybe how you you think now as an adult and it's like are there things like right now you're like okay they're doing it right yeah they're they, they it's like you know the notion of you still have the, the pop thing and it's back the same way but there's been changes that have been made obviously over time but still some of those things are really hard to pull out you know some of those really crappy things are really hard to pull out so right now what are some of those those things that um in terms of media that really get you and you're like all right no that's done well i like the way that that's done and it's very influential 
Yeah, that's interesting because I, uh, you know, now that I'm older, I see things in a much more complex way than I did when I was a kid. Um, and so I don't know, it's not like I, I don't think I have a ton of super popular people that I've been keeping too much of an eye on, but I definitely am fascinated by whatever little Nas X is doing. Uh, I think that uh, it's, it's cool to watch him grow up, yeah. kind of. Um, same with someone like Billie Eilish, who is someone who I imagine um, is going to be very different in 10 years than she is right now. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really cool to watch uh, people find their voice and kind of assert themselves in different ways throughout time. Um, so, yeah, those are the people that I'm that come pop up in my mind. Um, I'm getting more and more fascinated with Willow Smith. I'm not sure why, but uh, <laughs> but they seem rad. Yeah. That's that's great. That's great. Those that that kind of that tracks because um, it's it's a certain freedom there. It's a certain realizing what's happening and kind of playing the game and telling people that hey, I am playing the game because I know what this I know what this whole system is. I know what this mm -hmm. factory of nonsense is. So I'm just gonna play with it. And yeah, um, yeah and then seeing like what people get upset when people get annoyed by certain things it's like yeah yeah cool yeah they're playing the you know this is design right right yeah exactly uh yeah it's cool to watch it as like a system from the outside kind of and mm -hmm. see how everyone reacts to it um but in general i'm not super knowledgeable about pop culture so uh yeah i'm sure there's a lot more really cool and worthy stuff going on that uh, i just have no idea about no whatever's on your radar is what's on your radar <laughs> um so tell me about the experience of running a venue that serves as the second home to many Baltimoreans and like really what compelled your work in a community building capacity? That's a really interesting question. And uh, I think that it's one, like many of these questions, but especially this one, the answer might be different at different points in time along the way. So like two years ago, I might've said something totally different. Sure. Uh, and, and I grapple with who feels at home at the ballroom. Um, both in terms of like what's right um, and you know the city we live in and how the demographics reflect the city and the dance that we do, which is a black dance uh, and I'm not black. Uh, and so I grapple with that, but all in all, I think that uh, back in the day, not to romanticize back in the day, but I think that pre-internet there was a lot of more spaces that where people could physically go to, to step outside their mundane day-to-day -day lives. So they could, you know, work their job and take care of their family and put food on the table um, and be at whatever sort of status they were in society. And then go to these places where there was some kind of expression, whether it was music or dance or poetry or whatever, and try on being a different version of themselves that is yeah. maybe a little more dignified and something that I think on the internet's best days, people, especially people who live in more uh, isolated areas get the opportunity to do, but we're really trying to create a space, I think, that liberates people to be something outside of what capitalism places on them, Yeah, um, if that makes any sense. No, it, it does. And um, like, I, I, you know, of course, I've, you know, in, in scheduling this, you know, you, you do your research, you check out the videos, you check out, you know, just the stills and the images on it. I was like, oh, it looks like people are having a great time in these images. Like, <laughs> yeah. This looks fun. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be a, I feel like 
almost I almost want to play a character. I was like, where are my suspenders and my zoot suit? Yeah. I want I want to have that vibe. I want to look like Tom from Tom and Jerry, like sneaking into a place. <laughs> yeah, and some people do that, and then some people I think just like they don't have a point in the day where they put their phone down and touch another human being, especially yeah. in a non-sexual way. Yeah. Where like a dance is only three minutes long, you're in that moment with another human being, not thinking about anything else, uh, and it's just a brief respite from the rest of your life. That's that's great. That, that might be a quote from, okay, I feel like you've said that before. Um, I mean, as a person that has three left feet, you know, me and dancing, I don't, I don't know. It's, you know, I'll give it a shot, you know, out, out of respect and admiration. Um, so tell me about an experience at, at the ballroom that holds a particular fond memory for you and, you know, maybe why it, it really pops as a fond memory. This is a really good question to have to answer after two years of a global pandemic, because I got to say that running a small business during a pandemic is not uh, doesn't it's not without its unpleasantries. I'll say oh. that. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, thinking back and thinking like, what were some really good times? Yeah. Uh, I think that we've had the great opportunity to run events that aren't one thing. They're not just music. They're not just dancing. They're not just acting or theater. Or, uh, and when we started doing that, I'd say one of the first things that we started doing was having these variety shows. We haven't had one in like five years, but um, we would put out a call and have all sorts of stuff. We had belly dancing, burlesque. We had skits. We had aerial silks. We had um, people like juggling and shit, doing all sorts of stuff. Um, and Sometimes we would have live music uh, and it was really fun because it, from the perspective of who's already in our community, it gave people a chance to show off what their other skills are. So someone yeah. who maybe like isn't a stellar dancer or whatever, but is part of the community gets to be like, here's this other part of my life where I really do shine. Yeah. Um, and from my perspective, I kind of I feel like I have a lot of creativity, but don't necessarily have one medium for it. I don't have my like form of expression yet. Sure. Uh, and so getting to like take this experience that we're making for people and look at it from the perspective of the musicians, the bartenders, the janitor, which is me, the uh, <laughs> like another the, skill, right? <laughs> the sound guy, the lighting person, the like the performers getting to see it from do all those different roles and watch it come together is yeah. uh has been just like i don't know such a it makes me so grateful to get to have the job that i have it's, it's great to hear that and i like how you prefaced it like after you know this season three we're in i believe of uh the pandemic as the pandemic turns or what have you um i feel like being able to recognize like when things were good and when things were great and why they were good and why they were great. And it's, it's that, it's that reminder. And it's like, Oh, I can't wait to get back to this. Can't get, can't wait to get back to seeing you guys. And, um, and all of that good stuff. Yeah. It's really interesting to have been doing the same job essentially for 10 years. I mean, we, uh, I guess 11 now I was 23 when we started the ballroom and, uh, and I was about the same age as most, like many of the people who were attending or they were older than me. Sure. And what people need now versus what people needed then are different things. Like there was a lot of like riling people up back then and trying to get them all excited. And, you know, coming back into things after the pandemic, people don't want that the same way. It's like, they want to feel safe. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's 
just fascinating to grapple with, like, how do you engage people creatively and also business-wise and also just in terms of community and uh, get them to, to come out of their shells and be comfortable with a different set of needs than they had before. So, so tell me about, um, you know, we, you've, you touched on more than, more than a decade at this juncture of, um, you know, co-running the, you know, ballroom. So tell me about, um, being a member of, um, the guardian, the guardian dance and how like some of those experiences maybe relate back to your personality or what that reveals about your personality. Yeah. So, uh, so first of all, for people who don't know, guardian is a dance company whose mission is to act as a cultural preserver and restorer by practicing, performing, and passing on uh, African-American dance forms. So it is a, a, I'd say, categorically Black dance company that I had the privilege of being a part of, even though I'm not Black. Um, and it's a basically a collection of teaching artists who all specialize in a certain kind of, like, their, like, home language for dance sure. uh, and teach each other. And then... Uh, there's all sorts of projects that get done with the company doing all those dances. So there's Lindy Hop, West African, Locking, Breaking, and Baltimore Club. Um, pretty much any, everyone in the company uh, practices, like I said, with the group. We do performances, and then we pass it on. So for a number of years, I taught in Sandtown at New Song Academy um, as part of my like company member duties in Guardian. Um, and ran the Swing Dance Club. Uh, Song Academy is a really cool school. Um, so Brie Mason Campbell, who is the founder and director of Guardian and someone you should totally interview. She is a badass. Uh, um, she was the full-time dance teacher at Song Academy for like 15 years. And so while she was there, every student um, had dance every single year, a different kind of dance. And um, so there's generations of people in that uh, neighborhood who are aware of what Lindy Hop is and is part of their culture and all that. Um, it's really cool. Anyway, I digress. Uh, I got pulled into Guardian by Brie when I was around 23. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that I had no idea what I was getting into. Uh, it, you know, you can talk about it like a dance company, but Ultimately, it was this, it became this little microcosm of what I think America could become if uh, people were in relationship with each other across different societal barriers. Um, sure. And so, for instance, we did, a, while I was there, we did a couple different pieces that were really uh, awesome. We toured Baltimore City Schools and did this piece called Time Machine, where I was a scientist who worked for the African-American History Museum. Why the mu History Museum has a scientist, I'm not sure. We didn't really, <laughs> the kids never questioned it. Uh, but I would go back in time with the audience and the rest of the company would change outfits every scene. And so we would go to like the 20s and learn about Lindy Hop and who yeah. the major Lindy Hop figures were. We'd go to the 80s and learn about breaking. We'd go to like basically all over the place. And then in the end, back to Africa and would share the exchange between African dance moves that have now become Baltimore club moves. Um, nice. Then we did one called Dancing White, which was for adults. We toured universities and uh, we, it basically traced cultural appropriation from the time of slavery yeah. up until now um, and showed how, uh, 
black art was commodified and taken away from the ancestral inheritors of the dance forms. Um, and then we did a follow-up to that called Heroes and Villains, which uh, was sort of a response to like, so what next? And my point in describing all these is that they're fairly heavy topics, especially for a group of people that um, we were diverse in like, at the time that I was in it, at least like racially, religiously, age-wise, ability-wise. Um, and we choreographed these things together. So a, lo a lot of the conversations that we were having were not just about what we're gonna do dance-wise, but what does this all mean and what are we trying to say and who are we? And, um, and so it was this amazing opportunity to be in relationship with a group of people and to have actual stakes to that relationship because we were performing together and doing things that we found important. Um, and uh, yeah, and to just get to sort of talk about intersectionality and patriarchy and uh, racism and all sorts of things, but in real terms, not in yeah. buzzwords. Um, what it says about my personality, I have no idea. I think that um, in the beginning, it definitely pointed out my young liberal whiteness uh, <laughs> on the daily uh, and really like was um, the kind of gift that I'm not sure I deserved to get um, where like it just broke my world wide open. Um, and then as I got older, I mean, I think that it really, whether this was already in me or whether it taught me this, it taught me a lot about commitment and integrity and following through on things and being in relationship with people and what it means to like be in a community that, um, you know, I could pick up and leave any day. I am of a certain class of people that could just like move to California tomorrow if I wanted to. A lot of people in Baltimore aren't that. And what does it mean to be in a community where you are interdependent and actually responsible for each other. Uh, I think that that's become something that's really important to me um, to, to recognize that, uh, you know, we, we're interdependent. And that's, and that's really, really interesting to notice that that, you know, just the timing you know, you're describing is like, it kind of runs concurrent to the ballroom. So that's, mm -hmm. yeah, I feel like there's some overlap there. So, so, so thank you for, um, for sharing that. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was good to hear, hear a lot of that stuff or what have you. So, um, definitely ally, ally, ally. I love. I hope party. that makes sense and also doesn't sound totally batshit, but, uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> See, everything is batshit here. Everything is, I'm bad <laughs> uh, so I got one more question before I get to these rapid fire ones. And, mm -hmm. and this one might be kind of a rapid fire one as well, okay. but, um, how do you, how do you, um, what is generosity? What does that mean to you as an artist and how do you emulate it? That's such a good question. Also makes me question whether or not I'm an artist. Uh, <laughs> um, I think, uh, I think that's really hard and but my gut reaction is that um, being generous as an artist is having the courage and the ability to take people with good faith um, that enough to be yourself um, and I think that uh, being yourself and expressing yourself and putting that out there to people gives other people permission to do that same thing and just real quick when I think about the best dancers that I know in the Lindy Hop scene 
you know, there's a lot of mimicking that happens and a lot of uh, emulating other people. And um, I think the best answers to me aren't the ones who make me want to dance like them. They're the ones who make me want to dance like me. Mm. Uh, the, the ones who who are so in themselves and willing to show that, that they invite me to do the same thing. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that is a surprisingly generous thing to do. That's, that's great. I, I like the way you described that. Um, and yeah, so see, I think with the dance, asking that question, it, you, you kind of get an idea of how people think and maybe ultimately it's a gem. It's a gem that's like, oh yeah, this is kind of what generosity is. I think a lot of times we, don't acknowledge it. We just look at it as in a, in a capitalistic sort of way or in a, how do I get something out of this sort of way? And really it's just like, or, you know, thank you for the conversation. You know, that that's, yeah. that's a form of it. And it's like, you've enabled me to think more broadly and, and so on. So thank you for that. Um, <laughs> and um, so now, now all of the goodwill, right. That I've established, mm -hmm. I'm let it go all the way because I'm going to ask you three rapid fire questions that will melt your brain. Cool. The key to that is going to be rapid. I'm going to try really hard to. to oh no! There's a timer. That, there's a timer oh, okay. that comes on and everything. No, I'm kidding. Cool. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, it, it, obviously, you know, being a small business owner, you're an entrepreneur. So, what what popular entrepreneurial advice you just disagree with? You're like, no, that's wrong. Oh God, pretty much everything related to branding and the internet and NFTs and cryptocurrency, whatever <laughs> shit, all that is. Uh, <laughs> See that, that that was pretty rapid, actually. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many people that come up to us and are like, you know, you should really do this with your website, and you should really do this with your branding and your logos and your cross-platform, whatever horseshit. You should be on the internet more. And like, while I totally know that that's the case, and we recently updated our website, and like, you know, it should function <laughs> or whatever. Uh, but like we specifically are trying not to be a brand or to be something that seems we're trying to be something that is instead yeah. of something that seems that it is. Um, and mm. the experience of being in the space with other people should be the highlight, not the like logo and the affect that people have once they've started participating in our brand. So yeah. I think that while all that stuff can be important for making money, um, it's eventually going to be seen as like kind of tacky, I think. Um, that, that reminds me of one of the things they were talking about and uh, the get down about like DJs. It's like, yo, don't bootleg my stuff. You were there, you know, you experienced totally. it. Totally. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you you had me feeling real weird at one point because I was like, I can't find any information. I feel like I'm stalking. How am I? It's like, I'm just typing <laughs> and looking. And I was like, I need you to send something to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> So next to um, what is the what is the greatest modern invention? I know it's not NFTs because you just slag those off a little bit. So <laughs> oh god, yeah. Not that I'm even clear on what NFTs are, so maybe that's unfair. But um, modern invention. I was like my typewriter. That's not really modern though. <laughs> um, uh, oh man, I don't. This is like completely out of left field and kind of negates everything I just said. But. Sure. I'm really into this thing called an ATEM that we have. Do you know what that is? No, it's I don't. like, I'm sure that an ATEM is the brand and not the actual thing. It's <laughs> like this box that allows us to route different videos and sound and everything through it. So it helps with our live streaming. Oh, nice. Um, and I, like I said, have no idea what it is. I described it as a box that you plug things into, but, um, but it seems like a really cool mean like way of, uh, 
of bringing in all the different medias and it's then a, being able to put them out there. It's a broadband switcher and it is the brand. So now because <laughs> yeah, I just yeah. I just typed it in, I was like, oh, hey, Tim, I've seen one of these. I've worked one of these before. <laughs> yeah. Now, I have no idea how to use it. It's sitting on the shelf right above me and I always have someone else use it. Um, <laughs> I bet I could have come up with a much more meaningful uh answer to that but not rapid fire no that's but that's good though I and mean, you've actually given me another gem that i'm going to steal from you that's really what this cool. podcast is about <laughs> it's a clever way for me to steal from people creatively um last question uh this one might this also is entrepreneur related um what is your favorite metaphor for describing entrepreneurship it's so weird i don't think i've thought one bit about entrepreneurship since i became someone who could be considered an entrepreneur like wow. definitely when i was a teenager i like had all these ideas about businesses and things like that despite being kind of anti-capitalist i'm obsessed with business ideas uh but once i was actually doing it i wasn't thinking about it that much yeah. i was i like to look at i don't think this is a metaphor but I, I like to look at business stuff and entrepreneurship stuff as a vehicle to get to something real not as the thing that is actually real. Uh, like I don't care for entrepreneurship for the sake of entrepreneurship or making money for the sake of making money. Um, you know, I want to build something that's real and that affects people and that they can enjoy. Um, and so I think, you know, it's not a metaphor, like I said, but to, to look at, your content and your mean, I can't believe I just said content, like I'm talking about the internet, but like you're what you're trying to do and then the means of doing it. And uh, hopefully what you're trying to do in my mind, isn't to just be an entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, it's maybe it's to create something cool, or maybe it's to create a life for yourself that allows you to have control over your own time. Um, which I think is the biggest benefit of doing anything where you're self-employed. Yeah. Um, so I kind of sorry I did not quite answer your no, question. No, 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 that, no. That's that's good. Um, that's good because uh, again, you know, it encourages me to think. Like going back to the this notion I've been working with of like vocations and such. Like really, you know, I'm amplifying and quote unquote telling stories, and I feel weird saying that because that's become a buzzword. But really, it's, it's like really cool though. I've listened to your podcast. So I think it's really great. Well, thank you. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's really trying to like uncover those things that people just don't know and they wouldn't know. And that's what I feel like part of my job is. And it really, the through line for most of the stuff that I do is, Hey, I think this is interesting. You should too. Let me talk mm -hmm. about it with, with the people. Um, so that's pretty much all I have. And I want to thank you for coming on to this podcast and I want to invite you. Thanks for you. having me. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to invite you and encourage you to tell the fine folks where to check you out on social media. And I thought about it, but yeah, please. Where to find me on social media? Um, the on Instagram, we have at Mobtown Ballroom. My personal one is at Sulstervin, S-U-L-L-S-T-E-R-B-A-N. Um, we're also on Facebook, and that is it. <laughs> So there you have it, folks. Um, <laughs> I, I want to thank again, uh, Sarah Sullivan, for coming on to the podcast. And I'm saying that there's art in and around Baltimore, dance in and around Baltimore. You just have to look for it. Yeah.